Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. Since we came on the air at 6 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio on the Magic Picture Box on ESPN News, everything you just heard there from Jay and Keyshawn was said in the first hour of our program. There is so much to get to. It's Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All guests will join us on the Shell Pennzoil performance line, including Raptors head coach Nick Nurse at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. And we have to start with the Clippers. Key, great game for Paul George. Great game for Kawhi. Oh, by the way, I want to mention this. I'm watching the game last night, right before they're about to tip. The Nuggets and the Jazz are over. They're showing a picture of Kawhi just warming up, swigging the Gatorade. It says on the screen, Kawhi Leonard, this series, 33.0 points. He's been a beast. 10.0 rebounds. And I'm like, wait a minute. We've been on the air for like seven or eight days, essentially since the playoffs started. We've spent so much time talking about Luka, deservedly, so much time talking about what's wrong with Paul George when nothing is wrong with Paul George. We'll get to that in about 15 minutes or so. But the reality is we have slept on the NBA MVP of the finals with the new team, new city, going 33-10. and 10. Anybody else going 33-10 and 10 with the big market team? We're talking about it. It's the first time I actually noticed it. Well, it's quiet leadership. It's, right? That's and, it. That, and when you <laughs> don't speak and you don't give sound bites, people don't concentrate on that. They concentrate on guys that are outspoken that's cooking. I mean, that's just what it is. And, and we all know who he is as a player. There's no question about it. And we had this conversation about him potentially being the best player in the NBA. If he had a different type of personality, you get kicked up a notch or two. I mean, it's just – that's the reality of sports. There's been so many other things that we've been focusing on. And look at what people focus on media-wise, like the sexy things, the yeah. shiny objects, yes. right? And look, as a basketball purist, like he mimics Michael Jordan. I don't know if people see this. When you watch him play, the moves he makes are very Michael Jordan-like. Mm. The way he operates in the pinch post, the way he shoots step backs, uh, the way he really elevates with the two-point shot. His game is probably one of the most similar we've seen to Michael Jordan since Kobe Bryant. We should also mention that Doc Rivers, after the game, much like LeBron the other night, had a little bit of interest in talking about the team's latest win. LeBron with the other L.A. team. Doc, of course, with this particular L.A. team, the Clippers. But when he sat down to talk virtually to the media via Zoom, he wanted to make sure that, yes, it was a basketball game. And, yes, we are on the verge of going to the second round. They've never even been to the third round. They've never been to the Western Conference Finals in their 50-year history, the Los Angeles Clippers, if you think about that. Never what been. do you mean, really? You love that as a Laker fan. <laughs> that, that's a really where you're just saying really? it to be sarcastic. Really? Really. I, I thought oh, Blake I, in, in Lob City, I, I just, I don't know. You're a bad person. <laughs> I will mention, though, right before we hear from Doc Rivers, I just want to give you a little context to Doc. Doc's father, Grady, was a police officer for 30 years in Maywood, Illinois, just west of Chicago, predominantly black working class neighborhood. So I just want you to have that as some context as you begin to hear Doc saying the Mutual Admiration Society in America for many is alive and well, but for many people and black people, it is not the case. All you do is keep hearing about fear. It's it's amazing to me why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back and it's just it's really so sad like I should just be a coach and it's so often 
reminded of my color. We're the ones that need to be scared. We're the ones having to talk every to every black child. What white father has to give his son a talk about being careful if you get pulled over? It's, it's just ridiculous. And it just keeps getting, it keeps going. Uh, there's no charges. Breonna Taylor, no charges, nothing. All we're asking is you live up to the Constitution. That's all we're asking for everybody, for everyone. Thank you. The Clippers can wrap it up tomorrow night on ESPN 9 Eastern Time. That seems like such a secondary topic. He talked about the speech that you have to give your kids. Obviously, he's got a son in the Mm -hmm. NBA. He also has a a daughter uh, that is a high-performing athlete herself when they were growing up in the Orlando area when Doc was down there. You have a son in his 20s, and you were telling me earlier today that for people that are listening that have never had to give that speech, I mean, my father never talked to me about that. I presume most of the audience has not had that conversation with their parents about just going out and enjoying a Friday night when you're a teenager or a kid, but you said for sure you've got an 8-year-old who you're going to talk to about that, and you've got a 20-something-year-old who you've had that conversation with, and you've been personally affected by it. Multiple times. Keisha I, if anybody know me, when he was at the University of Nebraska, at this point in time, several years ago, he was caught smoking weed. I snatched his butt. I almost said curse, but I snatched his butt out of class and made him come home. He, he took him out of school right. um, because, you know, you just want to be a dad. You want to be there and teach him. And, and having a conversation seems like every day about his whereabouts, what are you doing, who are you with, where are you going, remember to do this they don't care about you. Just I'm telling you, you know, and, it, and it, it's a different type of message that I'm delivering to him. And it's painful because I know at any given moment, anything could potentially happen. You know, if he's not aware, you know, if you driving and they pull you over, make sure you roll down your window before they get up on your car. And I want you to put both hands out the window and allow them to tell you what to do. Don't do anything that you're not supposed to do. And if you're not far away, I want your butt to pull in the gas station where there's plenty of light at night and plenty of people around. It's okay to go a block or two. Don't just pull right over. I try try to have a conversation with him Mm -hmm. because it's important. That's the same conversation that my mother had with me Mm -hmm. when I first got started driving and had my car. Is to make sure that you go into a grocery store parking lot or you make sure to go into a gas station because we that, that was our only Real security was for people, we thought, so to speak, that with people seeing and people out, that nothing would happen. Witnesses. Witnesses. So, but clearly, that's not the case. You know, it's like, okay, if I still pull into a parking lot with people around, they don't care nowadays. They could care less. You know, Key, when I was in college, uh, I was driving with one of my friends. He was from South Carolina, and he was Italian, and he was driving. And we were driving the road around 1030 and we, we both got we got pulled over. I've never seen this before. And this is the difference. OK, because I'm curious to how you would react to this key. So I'm in a passenger seat. He's in the driver's seat. Get pulled over by the cops. You know, the big light is on behind you. The sirens are on behind you. Right. Can't even and see. If, if you are if you're African-American, like for me, especially as a male, like I tense up. Absolutely. Like my hands are like kind of like on the. The headrest area, like they're they're up. I'm just keeping them up there because I don't yes. know what's about to happen. My boy gets out 
of the car. Yeah, no, that's a, and that's starts a bad move. Walking back to the officer, right? So you can imagine me thinking, "Yo, t- what, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Don't do that! What are you doing?" Walks up to the officer. The officer and him have a conversation. He gets back in the car and has his ticket, and then we drive away. I'm looking at him in awe. Like, what the hell just happened? You got out of the car and talked to the officer. He handed you a ticket, and now we're driving off. I would never in my mind think about walking out of the car. Never. I would no. have my hands up. I would have the music off, all the windows down. Just, and, But that's the way my father has taught me because I've also seen other friends that it, it, it naturally gets to that point. So just the difference of mindset that I think – people can have due to the way that you were raised and the environments playing basketball. One of the things that I saw growing up, going to Newark, New Jersey, staying with friends, living in environments like that, you didn't have that luxury to do things like that. You know, Z, and, and, and I, you, it's never probably happened to you, I don't know, but if you're, if you're ever driving in your car and the lights are put on you, mm-hmm. it, it blinds you so you can't see them approaching. Mm-hmm. They can see in the car because it's really bright. Right. So you make sure to always put your hands up, things of that nature, because it just is very, very uncomfortable and it's bone chilling because at any moment, anything can happen to make a reaction for them to do something to you and say, OK, this is why we did it. And, and you know, and for my son, though, it, it's scary, though, man, because he's young, he's young and he's still kind of naive. You know, he's he's not out in the adult world working he's still in school and naive a little bit so it worries well me. that's the point think about how you react right like teaching young people this is how you need to react like that's the scary part you don't know what somebody is you know somebody's suffering from anxiety you know if somebody yeah. has no issues idea. right so now all of a sudden when you're scared you have to have more control over your body about how you react and think instead of react Keyshawn, j will and zubin the podcast We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And let's start with baseball history. A no-hitter with nobody in attendance. A no-no with nary a person in the house, Lucas Giolito pitching the first no-hitter of 2020. White Sox over the Pirates 4 nothing. Fanned him again. One walk, or else it could have been near yeah. perfection. Yeah, I didn't want to be that guy on the last out, though. He looked like he almost stumbled chasing that line drive. Give me that sound effect, because I got a stat for you. Giolito's 30 swings and misses were the second most in a no-hitter behind the Ryan Express, Nolan, 30 years ago. It looked like they were swinging at air, though. Jerry Reinsdorf has one of the best young teams in all of baseball. Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Chicago White Sox, and, of course, the Chicago Bulls, back in Jay's wheelhouse with the NBA. Barcelona confirming Lionel Messi has requested an exit 
after nearly two decades. He's 33. He's under contract till 2021. They just got trounced by Bayern Munich in the Champions League quarterfinals, leaving the team without its first title since 07, 08. He, he could come play for the LAFC. We'll I'll take him. I gotta give somebody on, on Twitter credit. So I, I kind of gave a comparison between D, D Wade leaving Miami, and somebody brought up a really good point that D Wade wasn't in Miami since he was 13 years old. True. Messi's been part of Barca since he was 13 years old. Yeah, playing playing soccer. Yes. Yeah, they found him Damn. in Argentina. They took him to the facility. They have a facility where they yeah. train young guys and hopefully have them turn into players like this. Although that's pretty much a rarity when you're talking that level of play. So props to the advantages of Twitter. To force you to push to be better. No, I, I get it. I just don't <laughs> respond to people. That's all. Last thing. What a year it could be for Giannis. They had the NBA's perhaps MVP for the second straight year. We'll wait to see. Perhaps the first title for the Bucks in 71. Perhaps the first final appearance in 74. And definitely adding to it, Jay, the defensive player of the year. It could be a year of superlatives for the Greek freak. We'll see. I, I said he was my defensive player of the year and my player of the year. So, and I said Nick Nurse is my coach of the year. It's looking like things are coming together. Very clairvoyant. That means predicting in advance. Just saying. (laughs) These guys are always killing me. I always think that, I think they should wait to give out these awards until the postseason is over with, even though a regular season, even though they're regular season awards. I just, I feel like when you talk about the stars, the regular season, and then whatever it is in the playoffs, put that together. When you talk about James Harden, uh, uh, Giannis, LeBron, AD, just wait till the postseason is over to give away. The regular season award. We need to have that conversation eventually. That leads to a, a bigger talk because nobody cares what you do in a regular season. We mark championships that deem you successful or not. You know what people do care about? The Cowboys. Now time for another Cam Confidential on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? Well, I've always been very upfront. Uh, you know, we're in this to win a championship. Make no bones about it. The Cowboys, according to ESPN's FPI, have the fifth best chance to reach the Super Bowl this season. Stephen Jones, the executive vice president of the team, said at the beginning of this camp that he believes this roster is as talented as any they've had the past decade. So organizational expectations are high. Aren't they always high in Big D? Let's welcome in Todd Archer. He's been covering the Cowboys for years on the beat for America's team. And he joins us this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin on the Shell Pennzoil performance line. First things first, Earl Thomas is available. Mike McCarthy did say they're aware of that. He talked about that a couple days ago. Todd, what has Jerry Jones said about the possibility of adding Earl Thomas? Well, Jerry came on the local radio yesterday and, and said, yeah, we know Earl's available too. We haven't made a decision on this one. To me, if this hasn't happened yet, it tells me the Cowboys either have serious pause or they're waiting for some sort of price to come down so it's at their level, not what maybe Earl wants. And maybe some other teams will jump in there. The Cowboys don't want to bid against themselves potentially. But uh, from the beginning of this thing, uh, their interest, I think, may have been overstated or, or, or perhaps that's because it's the Cowboys and it's Earl, and this is something that dates back to 2017 when he walked arm-in-arm arm into their locker room almost with Jason Garrett. It came again in 2018 when the Cowboys made a trade offer to him. It came again in 2019 when he was a free agent uh, and, and ended up signing with Baltimore. So this is a situation where it, the longer it goes, the price goes down, or maybe someone else jumps in. I don't know if, if the Cowboys are all in to go get an Earl Thomas if it's been two days and he still isn't 
Jerry still haven't talked to the guy yet. Never thought it would be a day, Todd, that I will be asking you football questions. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm so old, I covered Keyshawn back in the day at the Cowboys. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Mike McCarthy obviously didn't have a, a, a explosive running attack in Green Bay at his ten, when his tenure was there. Now he has Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield. The Cowboys, obviously, with the big offensive line, like to run the ball. Has he said anything about the way and style in which he plans on using Zeke? Yeah, Key, it was interesting yesterday he talked about it, how Zeke is going to get his touches. And at first when he said it, I kind of like, yeah, okay, of course he's going to get the ball a lot. But then I started going, and he said touches. And we've seen Zeke a lot in the backfield here in, in training camp, so it wasn't so much about carries. But I, I will go to his history of running backs. And, yeah, it ended not too well for him in Green Bay with, with him throwing a lot more than he ran it. But go back to New Orleans, and he didn't have a Ezekiel type runner, but go back to New Orleans. When he had a Ricky Williams, he had a Deuce McAllister. Both those guys had over 1,300-yard rushing seasons. Now the game has changed since then, but I still think you'll see Ezekiel be a heavy part of this offense. I just thought it was interesting yesterday when he told us it was about touches, and Zeke has been a guy who said he's worked on his route running, not just on checkdowns, but to run it like a receiver would do. Maybe think like Le'Veon Bell back in his Pittsburgh days, getting involved in the, in the game that way with Todd Haley, uh, Key's old best friend, uh, assistant coach with, the, with mm-hmm. the Jets back in the day, even the Cowboys. Um, so I, I, it, you'll still see Zeke being a heavy part. I'm interested to see how much he's actually going to run the ball. But at the end of the day, it is about 21 in this offense with that offensive line still without Travis Frederick being able to get closeout games on the ground. So, Todd, you said it's about 21 in the offense, but it's also about the quarterback position, wearing that jersey, the Dallas Cowboys. This next one is Dak Prescott, obviously playing at $34-plus million on the franchise tag. Has the relationship of non-negotiations, better yet, not getting a contract done, has it fractured at all between Jerry and, and, and Dak or his feelings around the organization moving forward? Yeah, I've asked on that, and everything that we've been told publicly from Dak and from the Cowboys is, Kumbaya, and everything is fine, uh, and, and we'll, we'll see what happens after this season because the same issues that are in place that were in place when they had this contract impasse in July are going to be still in, in play next March when they have to decide to use the tag again. And oh, by the way, the cap situation is going to be much more difficult because of the pandemic. Um, so far, I've not heard or seen anything behind the scenes where, where Dak is mad that he doesn't have the contract or the Cowboys are mad at Dak that he didn't accept their offer. And you, you mentioned the number, the, the 30 plus million dollars he's going to make this year. This is a guy who made about 4 million bucks in four years for what he did on the field. He's not going to make seven times more than that, more than seven times more than that this season. So I, I don't think it'll affect Dak that, that way. And I think Dak knows he needs another great season to get the contract either from the Cowboys or if they don't tag him from somebody else. And, and so this is, I think all, all this has done is just pushed everything forward to next March. If they don't get a deal done, they tag him. And then to next July to when they have to get a, a long-term deal done by that, that deadline in 2021. Todd, I like to equate the Cowboys to like a summer blockbuster movie, right? It's always great marketing, really shiny lights, <laughs> great promotion. You always look forward to it, to inevitably the, the movie kind of letting you down. If you had to look into a crystal ball, what is your expectation for this team this year? Cowboys fans weren't happy, uh, Jay, when, when I said this a couple of weeks ago. I think the expectation is make the playoffs. And this is something that mm. the team didn't do last year. 
You have a new head coach bringing in a slightly new system, even if Kellen Moore remains as the coordinator, an entirely new defense. You didn't have a, an offseason to implement all of your changes. Todd, I just want to make sure you, said, you just said make the playoffs, correct? Just make, make the playoffs. Make the playoffs. Wow. That, that was my expectation, to make the playoffs. They didn't do that last year. You get in the tournament, as Parcells used to say, you have a chance. <laughs> this isn't a Super Bowl bust season to me because of everything around this team from the head coach not being able to fully implement his system. And I'm maybe for the first time, and Key, you probably remember when you were here too, I'm trying to temper expectations for people. Maybe, you know, you, you uh, what do they call it? You, you, you under, you over, under, overachieve and under, I can't even you think right there. now. It's too early in the you're, you're yeah, almost I don't there, Nobody here can help you. That's why we're not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, you don't want to underachieve, but you want, you're overachieve with the expectations being a little bit lower. Fair enough, especially in Dallas, where they are rarely very low. Mike McCarthy, a couple days ago, essentially came out and said the goal is to win the Super Bowl. They haven't done it in 25 years. You can check out all of Todd's work on ESPN.com. Nobody covers the Cowboys better than Todd. Todd, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. All right, Todd, thanks. I just want them to win the division. But to Todd's point, they could have made the playoffs. They were eliminated on the final day of the regular season. They needed a couple breaks to go their way. The Eagles ended up obviously sneaking in. But you're right, Key. You go to a point from not making the playoffs, Jay standing up and essentially saying, did I hear that correctly? They just brought in a coach that won a Super Bowl. The expectations are not Jason Garrett level with this dude in here and Mike McCarthy. I, I get it, but this is why when we talked about Tom Brady and expectations, it's the same sort of thing when you look at it. I'm trying to get past where I was a year ago, right? I mean, that's just, it's like, I just want to get to this next step. I'm not trying, my ultimate goal is to win it all. Sure. But if I just win the division and get a playoff, I'm happy. So but me, I want to get it all. So why, why Mike McCarthy, why would he come out and say, let's win a championship? Why not say, no, it, let's it, just it, win it. We want, we're going to win the division. No, that's our goal. No, start there. Start smaller. Because the goal inside the locker room from day one on all thirty-two teams, the worst team. Who's the worst team in the league? Detroit, for whatever reason. Let's just say Detroit. Their expectations in, in Coach Patricia right now. He's telling them we can win it all. He really well, honestly, he's lying. I, me and you feel the same <laughs> way. But he honestly believes that as a coach that they can win it all even though he can look at his talent on the field and realize, yeah, we may not win a game in the division. But in his mind, he really believes that they can win it all. Bengal fans on line one, we're the worst team in the NFL. Or, 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 the, or the Bengals. I just said Detroit. I couldn't think. There's a couple teams that I would put in that category as the worst team. Let's get right back to the Shell Pennzoil performance line. It is great to be joined by the Super Bowl champion, Ryan Clark. There's so much to get here. Uh, with you first things first the lions the cancellation of their practice in protest of what happened with the latest incident of social injustice in this country Uh, ryan i know you talk to people all around the league all the time for us here with your work at espn what are you hearing and what do you think about that move by that team well um the detroit lions have kind of been ahead of this or at least on pace with this all off season uh, during the offseason, during the George Floyd protests and other things like that, 
they had meetings where that was all they talked about on their Zoom calls. I trained a couple of guys that are on the team and they said they've been extremely progressive in those conversations, that those conversations have been led by leaders on the team, not just the coaches. And I think this is just another step showing that this team wants to be a part of the solution. And it's about it's about the players. It's about the coaches. It's about the people in the locker room. And in that locker room, we understand that there's going to be a lot of strong African-American voices, a lot of strong black voices from those men in that locker room. But I think it's been a total team thing for the Detroit Lions and they wanted to show that type of unity. And for for me, uh, what's impressive about it is this isn't a demonstration. Make no mistakes about it. What we're seeing in the NBA, what we'll probably see from the NFL before the game start is some type of orchestrated demonstration, not necessarily a protest, not necessarily someone doing something away from the norm to make people uncomfortable and take notice. What the Detroit Lions did was not a demonstration. What the Detroit Lions did was a singular protest, even if it wasn't necessarily during the anthem. They were showing that they were going to do something away from the norm, do something that wasn't scheduled because things have to change. And I think that's powerful. Uh, You hope that these conversations continue to happen, but you hope that these conversations aren't happening because unarmed black men are still getting shot. You hope that these conversations are happening because we are progressing. We aren't right now. And the Detroit Lions said that it must stop, that life can't go on the way it normally is, so they change their schedule, hoping other people will change the schedule of the way the African-Americans and people of color are treated in America. R.C., what's up, man? How you doing? Good, brother. How are you? Man, I'm, I'm holding it together. Um, what, what will it take for star players in the NFL to walk away and boycott games? What will it take? You know, I think, I think it'll take a lot. Obviously, you look at the fact that star players are still going to play during the pandemic. I think it shows how much people want to play and how they value this game. How And you play, Key, you know how it is. We don't play one of those games where you expect to play 20 years. Your career is an anomaly. My career is an anomaly for guys to play as long as we did. And so I think that playing games is extremely important. Uh, I think the NBA with guys like, you know, LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard or Chris Paul, who kind of led the charge to get back felt like they could play and also still while playing show that they still protest or show that they still stand for Black Lives Matter or make sure they bring awareness to the cause of social justice. So I think that's the way that many players look at it. And we also know that it's going to be individual. I don't think it'll be a situation where you can get a multitude of guys to sit out where we start having the conversation that we're having about the Toronto Raptors, Raptors missing a game in protests of social justice and so of social injustice. So I don't necessarily know that there is something that's going to make NFL players sit out, that's going to make star players sit out. And I think the other thing that we have to remember about our league is that it's the quarterback position that matters. It's been the quarterback position that's mattered during strikes. It's the quarterback position that's actually mattered in making the NFL take notice of social injustice. And it wasn't Colin Kaepernick. It was when the Carson Wentz's. It was when the Tom Brady's. It was when the guys with those names, now the Patrick Mahomes, starts to step up and say things. And I just don't see that. I don't see those guys, at least not right now, sitting out because we understood what we were coming into in this offseason. We understood that the pandemic we were facing wasn't just COVID, but it was racism. 
And that pandemic has been going on for hundreds of years in America. And though guys have stepped up and said things, no one has even mentioned about not playing. So I don't necessarily believe we'll get there as far as the NFL is concerned. RC, let's go to the quarterbacks. Number six in Cleveland. Is this going to be the breakout year for Baker Mayfield? You know, I was a big Baker Mayfield guy when he was coming into the draft. I was standing on top of the table at Get Up when they, we first kind of started saying, I think, that's, I think this dude should go number one overall. He has the good first year. We expected him to take the next step. It was a mess in Cleveland. Freddie Kitchens not being coached away, not having the organization uh, held up in a way that breeds success for a young quarterback. Uh, They didn't necessarily make that happen. He actually took a step backwards. He regressed. And so now I think this is a year he gets it more so going along the lines that we expect him to. But I don't expect an MVP caliber season. I don't expect a Pro Bowl season. I expect him to be better. I think there will be less turnover. They'll understand to run this team through Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt but Baker Mayfield is still going to be the third best quarterback in his division and I believe he'll be battling with that with Joe Burrow and so to me it's going to be Lamar Jackson Ben Roethlisberger then Baker Mayfield and he's going to have a better year but I don't expect him to have that breakout year that people think puts him back to where we felt about him going into year two we are talking to ESPN NFL analyst and Super Bowl champion Ryan Clark here on Keyshawn Johnson, Jay Williams, and Zubin Mahenti on ESPN Radio. I want to end, Ryan, with a bit of a sobering question, but a really important question. Uh, a couple of times this morning, we have played some comments from Doc Rivers after the game last night. In a sense, talking about the conversation he has to have with his children, particularly his son when they were younger, mm-hmm. about being African-American and driving around uh, in America. Your son Jordan is a sophomore defensive back at Arizona State. Jordan tweeted about an encounter at a Tempe fast food restaurant where a white woman had directed mm-hmm. a slur at your son and some of his friends who were teammates. Can you take us inside that incident if you wouldn't mind? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it happened a while ago, early on in the off season. Uh, he had just went back, going back to school uh, due to the COVID restrictions and then them sending everybody home. He didn't have a car at the time. We were trying to get it shipped and his dorm is right next to Whataburger or it was. And so those guys decided late at night to walk over uh, to Whataburger, try to get something to eat. They didn't have the car. Only drive through was open. And so, you know. The guy in the drive through, another young male was like, hey, man, just ask somebody in the car. Now, that's another subject. You know, that's a subject that I felt like I should have broached with him, that he should have understood from the conversations that we've had about driving, that you don't just walk up to cars, that in America, no matter how how successful you are, how smart you are, no matter if you're a D1 scholarship athlete, people still see your color first. People still see your face. Uh, A woman drives by, says she doesn't have time. When she gets to the window, she tells the manager she's being harassed. At the time, the boys are standing along the side because they've gotten someone to get their food. And, uh, you know, the manager tells them, y'all should leave. What are y'all doing here? The lady gets her food and she says, um, I mean, the manager comps her food and she says, thanks for the free food in words. Once she gets her food, she drives off. She says the same thing. You know, she's like, bye in words. And I think, you know, that, that that's a safe encounter. Uh, you know, Keyshawn, Jay Will, I think they've you know, they could echo this, that we've all been in that situation. We've all heard that word thrown to us as a, you know, as an insult. We've heard that word with the hard ER. And I think you move on from that many times. But one thing that scared me was the manager said that he was going to call the police. Now, they hadn't done anything to this woman. They hadn't harassed her. They they didn't raise their voice at her. They never got aggressive toward her. 
But the manager knew one thing. When you tell a young black man you're going to call the police, you are now weaponizing the police. Because as we've seen, especially recently, as we've seen throughout history, when the police are called on young African-American males, they're not called there to de-escalate. They aren't called there to subdue. They're called there to get the job done by any means necessary. And if that means to them is shooting you in the back, if that means to them is shooting you in the face, then that's what's going to happen. And so in my mind, to not have explained to Jordan that these are the steps that could happen, to not have explained to Jordan that he needs to understand who he is at every step in time or at every point, and him not understand it, that scared me. That let me knew that that was something that I didn't do correctly as a parent. And, you know, since he's grown from that, he's understood that uh, he's actually used his voice to work in other ways to educate other young black men like himself. But it's, it's scary. And I think, you know, my wife put it best. My son was got a couple of tickets when he first started driving. And I didn't really see a big deal in it. You know, it was some very minor infractions. He got a warning one time and she told me, she said, you're not doing enough to get him to stop doing this because you don't understand that every time he gets pulled over is another opportunity for them to shoot him. And that's the real life fear she faces every time I get in the car, every time my son gets in the car. So what Doc Rivers is talking about is a very real and tangible thing for black men and it's not necessarily even sad no more as much as it's just life. And we have to keep pushing forward, keep trying to do our best for us all to be better. But we definitely aren't there yet. That's an emotional story. The word we used yesterday was resignation. You almost have to be resigned that right now this is how it is in this country. This is Ryan Clark. Mm-hmm. Great comments, great perspective. Wow. And a first-person, real-world experience, courtesy of his son. Ryan, thank you for joining us this morning Thanks, here RC. on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zuby. Thank you. You guys have a good one, man. Yes, sir. Did you notice, real quick, did you notice how, when he mentioned the comments of his wife, he said, if you don't do this, our son might get shot. And then, even though he was there for that, he paused for a second. Almost like he needed to recollect, recollect his thoughts about that before finishing the sentence. Well, it's, it's true. And, and, and that's the way you think right like I was telling you about my son Keyshawn like I have to continue to have these conversations with him to remind him dude you are black no matter what you are black and that's the way they're gonna look at you for whatever reason they're scared and they're fearful of you and the only recourse that they have is to use force when it's not necessary the word I think uh, Ryan used was weaponized Keyshawn J. Will and Subin the podcast Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. 
Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. So let's fill in the blank. Guys, here we go. Bears open against the Lions. Fill in the blank. Key will be the opening day starter for Chicago. Mitch Trubisky. He'll be the opening day starter, and then he'll lose his job. Nick Foles. Come on, Matt Nagy. I had to watch this last year. Make a change. He had the second lowest QBR in the whole game last year. This is the only one I'll answer. Trubisky starts, get hurt. Foles comes in, and we know what happens when Foles replaces an injured quarterback. That would be a dream for the Chicago Bears. The NFL team that will surprise everyone this year, Key, is? Oakland Raiders. Ooh. The Raiders will surprise Las Vegas everybody. Raiders? Uh, Las Vegas yeah. Raiders. Right. And, That's going to take a while. And the Los Angeles <laughs> yeah. Chargers. Right? The That's La- the other one. <laughs> I still do San Diego, but yeah, the Las Vegas Raiders are going to surprise everybody. Ready for this? Yeah. Dallas Cowboys. Ooh. Expect the unexpected in 2020. How about that? Okay, NBA Finals. Jay, let's start with you here. This is your wheelhouse. Blank and blank. We'll meet in the NBA Finals when you're calling in on ESPN in the studio. The Clippers and the Toronto Raptors Ooh. will meet in the NBA Finals. Wrong LA team. <laughs> Lakers and Raptors in the NBA final. ESPN executives weighing in Lakers versus Bucks. So for the bosses, they want to make sure Lakers Celtics would be great too, right? You got to have that for Lakers the TV Celtics ratings. Celtics would be good. I don't think Lakers Bucks would be good. Just Giannis LeBron? Eh, I don't think so. All right. The biggest threat to the Lakers. Key answered this before the break, but I need a real answer. The answer can't be nobody. The biggest threat to the Lakers winning a title is self. I didn't say nobody. They're <laughs> self. If they no, no honesty, I think it would be the Clippers. Okay. I would agree. It would be the Clippers. It would be the Clippers. They have the most firepower. Yeah. So the NBA Western Conference Finals, Finals. is kind of like the NBA Finals yes. in that yes. way. They can knock them off. That's the only way. If the Lakers get to the championship, LeBron will deliver, and we will be certainly celebrating. Oh, I think we would push it off probably to sometime next summer so we could have the ticker tape. With all due respect, yep. the Western Conference Finals is the NBA Finals. There you go. Simply put, Keyshawn J. Will Zubin presented by Progressive insurance and the final one jay give me you got to give me two answers here fill in the blank will be the head coach of the sixers and the nets one at a time jay wright will be the head coach of the philadelphia 76ers and ty lu will be the head coach of the brooklyn nets he echoed that same thing jay wright jay Jay, and then ty to brooklyn ty wants the not necessarily wants the brooklyn job because he probably can get it if he really wanted it Mm -hmm. it's the best job for a guy like that relationship, firepower, respect, everything with the team. KD respects Ty. Uh, uh, you you got to think Kyrie respects him, knows him. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm rolling like Ty's that. relationship with him in Cleveland. And plus, that means Damon Jones will be on the bench, which if anybody knows Damon Jones, DJ will be. Pay attention to him. He is hilarious. All right, keep that name in the back of your mind, Damon Jones. Still to come here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. We'll hear from an NBA champion who played for Doc Rivers. Doc's had some amazing comments after the game last night. Poignant, emotional. You'll hear them next. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin, the podcast.